Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. So I want to bring a word that I believe is to this church. I want to bring a word that I think is going to uh, ignite something inside of you. Not like you need to be ignited because I believe you're already white hot for God. But maybe this can bring just an added dimension. Maybe God can send a breath of his spirit across the souls and the coals of your life and bring a fire, a, an added dimension uh, to you. And I think it's built on expectations. For me, what the Holy Spirit spoke to me for my church, Church of the Harvest, and we'll take your prayers anytime, in, uh, in Olathe, Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City, uh, the, Lord, the Lord gave me a word that this was going to be a year of miracles. Now, we're going to define what miracles are. Sometimes we use our filter for the miraculous, and it's very limited. And I, I want us to have an expansive idea of what miracles are. Now, I've seen amazing miracles. I've seen God raise the dead. I've seen cancers drop off. I've seen blind eyes see. I was just in Malawi, Africa uh, just a few months ago, and I was preaching in a very remote area there in Malawi, and uh, there was a church, a blind church, that actually came to our meetings. Uh, there, there was, I think there was seven or eight uh, people there that were all blind, had been born blind, had never seen the light of day in their life, and we began to pray for them, and we saw over half their church come from darkness to light instantaneously, miracles. So we're, we're used. Now we rejoice in that and God does those things here. I got home from that same trip in Malawi, Africa. I got home and I had been praying for a woman whose son has never walked. He was four years old. He has never walked. He was born with a disease that gave him no ability to walk whatsoever. And I, every Saturday night, we have a Saturday night service, two Sunday morning services. Every Saturday night, she would bring her child up for prayer. And I know that about halfway through the year last year, she got a little, uh, you know, discouraged. And I, I remember her coming up, and, and, and I'm praying for her son. I'm praying for her son to walk. And, and she said, Pastor, I just, you know, I, I just, I don't know what to do. I'm doing everything I know to do. I said, listen, you keep bringing him because God loves faith. And faith is not the drive-through, let me give you my order, and I'll pick it up at the window. Faith is perseverance. That is the great manifestation of faith. And when you continue to come and you continue to trust and you continue to believe, despite the obstacles, despite the limits, despite the barriers, despite the afflictions and the adversities that are associated with Jesus himself, spoke of this in Luke 17 when he exemplified faith by an in, a woman that would approach an unjust, an unjust judge and would continue to approach him until he gave her her request. And the final statement that he makes is, and when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Faith is not defined by our immediate asking or our immediate receiving. Our faith is defined by our perseverance in the things of God. I want you to hear that because if you're ever going to need it, you're going to need it in this generation. If you're ever going to need it, you're going to need it in this time. And I remember this woman came up to me, and, and I kept telling her, I said, I want you to keep bringing him, keep praying. Nobody's looking at you weird. Nobody thinks this is odd. And if they are, you send them to me. I'll straighten them out. And I would pray for that boy. Well, I got back the Saturday night, the first Saturday night I was back from Malawi. I, I'm standing up front, ready to receive ministry for prayer. And I see this woman walking up, but her son isn't with her. And I'm like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, she steps to the side. Her son jumps out from behind me and runs to me. 
and jumps into my arms. Doesn't walk, doesn't do the, the infant walk. He runs into my arms. She's weeping and crying. She said, Pastor, this past week while you were in Malawi, I got up, my son crawled out of his bed and just began to run across the floor as if he had been walking for years. Now these, these are awesome healing miracles. And I'm, I'm excited about it. But that is not the only way we can define miracles. And I promise you, because I, there is a culture today that says, well, I've never seen a miracle. I've never experienced a miracle. And there might be some of you sitting in this room feeling that exact same way. But I want to say to you that you need to expand your context of understanding miracles. Because if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have received the miracle of regeneration. You have gone from darkness of light to light. You have gone from the power of sin to the power of righteousness. You have gone from the power of the enemy's control over your life to the power of the control of the king of kings and lord of lords over your life. And so you need to rejoice in that. So I'm declaring that this is going to be a year of miracles where we're going to experience the unexpected and the expected. Come on. I want to expect some miracles and see them. And I also know that life brings the unexpected. Anybody with me? Life brings the unexpected. So I'm going to believe for the unexpected, supernatural expressions of the goodness and power of God over your lives. Now, when it relates to, when it relates to us today, I want to talk about the potential for the miraculous, the, the potential for God to do remarkable things. And how do we set it up? How do we position ourselves in what God wants for us and what God wants to do in us? And it's not just about us. It's about what he wants to do through us for the sake of his glory and for the sake of his kingdom in the earth, right? And so I want to establish that, the potential possibilities and how do we attract moments. If we're going to do that, we've got to get rid of some junk. I'm going to say it again. We've got to get rid of some junk. So I don't want you to look at anybody, but we, some of us got junk in our trunk. And we need to get rid of it, Right? And so what is that going to look like? And when I say junk, I'm talking about the weights and the entanglements that collect in our lives that either we can't let go of because we can't find the power to do it or we won't let go of because we don't have the disposition to do it. And so I want to take you, and you know the scripture, it's a very common scripture in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us what? Also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now there's a lot of things that are said here, but there's a few things that I want us to understand that junk does in denying us of the great glory that God has to demonstrate through our lives. The first thing is junk in our lives diminishes our capacity. The more junk I've got in my trunk, the less capacity I have to put the valuable thing in my life. And many of us don't understand that when we've got the junk of anger, we've got the junk of unforgiveness, we've got the junk of lack of unreconciled issues, when we've got the junk of fear, when we've got the junk of disbelief, unbelief, when we've got the junk of, un of rebellion or disobedience, if we go, when we have this junk in our lives, our capacity begins to diminish. 
So I've got, a, I've got a glass of water and I keep putting rocks in there. I diminish the capacity of, for water. I diminish the capacity for the thing that will refresh me, for the thing that will satisfy me, for the thing that will make a difference in my life. And too many of us, we have so quickly accommodated the stuff that has no value. We've sat there and we've embraced the things because we see ourselves as having room for it. And I believe God's going to raise up a holy disposition in our generation. And I believe that 2018 is going to be a beginning for that for many of us. Where we're going to reach a place where we're going to say, you know what? If it doesn't belong to the glory of God, if it diminishes the capacity of God's word, the capacity of God's spirit, the capacity of my potential, the capacity of becoming a champion. If it diminishes that capacity, I am getting rid of it because it has no value in my life. Come on. Now, junk in your life not only diminishes your capacity, but it weakens our efforts and stagnates our progress. Did you hear that? So when I got junk, what happens is it weakens my effort. In other words, I'm carrying something. Let us lay aside the weight. I'm carrying stuff that is absorbing my energy. It's absorbing my strength. To bear it, right? And so if I'm carrying non-essentials, I'm wasting my strength. Come on, somebody. And it can, it can it not only wastes my strength, but it stagnates my progress. When I could have, if I had got rid of some weight, I could have gone five miles. Instead, because I'm carrying the weight, I don't have the strength to go two and a half miles. And some of us are wondering, wondering why we aren't further along in our marriage. Or we're not further along in our business. Or we're not further along in our relationship with Christ. And I'm going to suggest to you it might be some weight that has weakened your efforts. Because you're using your energy and your strength to maintain something that is not adding life to you. Oh, uh, that's all right. I can preach without amens. But I preach better with them. All right. Junk in your life not only diminishes your capacity, not only does it, does it uh, weaken your effort, but junk in your life will leave no room for anybody else in your journey. The more junk you have in the li- your life, the more alone you will be. The more isolated and insulated you will become. Because there's no room for capacity. I'd love to show you pictures of people that have hoarded so much that there's only enough space for them to live. There's only enough space for them in the car. You ever, you ever gotten into a car where you're, they have to move everything from the driver's seat because they're not prepared for somebody to go on their journey with them? They got to clear off the, you know, the wrappers from the old Big Mac that they were eating and they got to get rid of the cups and they got to remove the papers and they got to get the, the, the stuff that they didn't take into the house that day. They got to clear the seat to make room for somebody to be in the journey. Now, here's what I know about my walk with Christ. I'm not called to walk this thing alone. I'm called to walk it with people. I'm called to walk it with my wife. I'm called to walk it with my children. I'm called to walk it with my church. I'm called to walk it, come on. 
with my disciples. I'm called to walk it with my mentors. I'm called to, I'm called to, and, and if I've got junk in my life, I'm not gonna have room for those things or those people in the journey. Junk in your life is gonna limit your potential. It's gonna destroy your potential. So let me, let me remind you of a, of, of a scripture. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on potential because when I look at this room, I see potential. I know when your pastor looks at this room, he sees potential, right? I even see the empty seats and I say there's potential, right? And, and so you think about the Ark of the Covenant, it's a beautiful experience, not the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark that Noah built. The beautiful thing about the Ark that Noah built is it was built to accommodate, right, uh, anybody that could come, upon, come on board as well as two of every kind of animal. Now, we all know the story. Now, not only was it the amount of animals and the amount of capacity for the people, but there was also had to be food, there had to be storage, there had to be all these other capacities that were built into the ark. The ark was an enormous task, took over 100 years to build it. And here's what I've discovered. There was a scientist that did a little, uh, a little study on its capacity and how much was actually in the ark. And they, he discovered that when the ark was completed, filled with all the animals, filled with the people that ultimately, which we know ultimately were only eight people, and that there was, all, and, and all the foodstuffs and all the supplies that were necessary for that, for that year-long journey on a boat, that you know what he discovered? That the ark was only one-third full. One-third full. So the question is, why would God have Noah build an ark that had twice, the, almost, almost three times the capacity than it actually provided for? Now, you think this is, the, this is the answer. Because God, in the final judgment, there would be nobody that could say, you didn't have room for me. Because God's all about capacity. God's all about potential. He's always got a place for you. He's always got a space for you. Whether you take advantage of it or not is another issue. So we all know the story, the stories of the, of the talents. So there was a man, he's getting ready to go on his journey. It's found in Matthew chapter 25. Again, I will be like a man going on a journey. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Everybody say wealth. He's not, he's not entrusting them with some small things and some small tasks. He entrusts to them his wealth, right? And to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one bag of gold, each according to his what? To his ability, then he went on his journey. So he's got three men, and he relates to them based on their potential, he relates to them based on their abilities. Now, we have an interesting thing that begins to, that begins to transpire here. Now, when, I, when we see this, we see that one is given five, one is given two, one is given one. And so when you think about these things that, that are distributed, let's talk about the wealth. He's, we know they are talents of wealth. A talent is equal to 75 pounds. In other words, he released to his servants one bag of gold, which was equivalent in today's money to almost $1.5 million. Now, if you were given $1.5 million, would you say you were given a great responsibility? Only a couple of you see that as a great responsibility. I see $1.5 million as a great responsibility. 
And the responsibility is clear. You've got to go and take this, do something with it, and enlarge it. So God releases opportunity to expand capacity and to reveal potential. So he gives, so the first guy gets nearly, well, actually gets over $7 million invested in him. The next guy gets close to $3 million invested in him. And the final guy, the last guy, was given nearly $1.5 million was invested in him. So the question ha- happens is what did they do? Well, the first five went, the guy with five went and, and worked it in the fields, worked it in the marketplace, put it in, put it in circulation, did what he needed to do. The same was true with the guy with two, but the guy with one did this. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hit his master's money. When the man who had received one bag of gold came, now this is later on, because now the the guy with fives comes up and he says, look, master, you gave me five bags. You gave me $7 million. I've got over $15 million. Look what I've done for you. And what does his master say? Well done. Good job. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over, I love this concept. This is the master's concept. You've been faithful over a few things. I don't see $7 million as a little thing. But this man and he, come on, the master and his wealth, his resources, saw $7 million as a small thing. Because what you define as a great thing, God, God might see it as a small thing. When we ask God little things, he's going, why don't, you, why don't you measure up to the stature of my grace, to the stature of my glory, to the stature of my power, to the stature. Come on, we're praying too small, folks. We're believing too little. We're not, we're not thinking the way God's thinking about things. And so what happened? He said, I, I got you. So I want you, you've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. So the money wasn't the objective of the investment his leadership Amen. was what, got, what the master was after. If you're not faithful over natural things, how will you ever be faithful over the true riches, the Bible calls it. The second guy comes up and said, well, master, you gave me close to three million. I've gained you another three million. I got close to six million dollars here. Master said, great job. You've been faithful over a few things. We'll make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then the third guy walks up and he says, well, that man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you, his master replied. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers at least. So that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. And here's the principle of the kingdom we don't like, but here it is. For whoever has will be given more, and, who, and, they, who have, and, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from. Folks, I'm telling you, this is a principle of the kingdom that our gospel of fairness does not appropriate. 
And I'm not, I don't know if I should talk about it, but I'm going to move on. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now what we see here with this last servant is his huge barriers to fulfilling his potential. God, through the master, identified this man as having a potential that was significant. But for some reason, he didn't see the significance of God's investment. He didn't see the significance of God's confidence. And sometimes we go through life and we wonder why we're not measuring up, why we're not experiencing the full measure of what God wants us to experience. But I'm going to suggest to you that these barriers to fulfilling our potential be starts with a first concept. And that first concept is what I call comparative measurement. I'm insignificant because I wasn't given five. I'm insignificant because I wasn't given two. Well, I must not be special because so-and-so is allowed on the platform to sing, but for some reason I'm not. Or I must not be significant because this guy has only worked for this company for six months and I've been here for a year and a half. And we start to run through our life beating the drum of fairness, believing that, that, that there should be an equity that belongs to me that isn't based on my ability but it's based on my attendance. Okay, I'm popular. I feel it. But he lived in this world of comparative measurement. And whenever you live in the world where you're always measuring yourself against where somebody else is, what somebody else is doing, how much they have, what kind of car they drive, what kind of clothes they wear, what kind of neighborhood they live in, whenever you live in that kind of world, I'm here to tell you, you will never enter into your potential. God doesn't have you answer for how somebody else lived their life before God. He has you answer for how you lived your life before him. What did you do with what he gave to you? What did you do when he released into your life? Uh, you may not have a lot, but you got to use what you've got. It doesn't matter whether you're given. Listen, there are stories that are around the world of people that took $5 and turned it into $50 million, Or they took a, a sack of beans uh, and they turned it into something significant. Started huge businesses. Or, or they started preaching um, in a land and for seven years never saw a convert. And all of a sudden, God began to unlock their potential. I'm here to tell you, stop living in the world where you're constantly comparing yourself against what somebody else is doing, where somebody else is going, or how somebody else is functioning. Is anybody listening to me? Look at what the Bible says, Galatians chapter 6. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Here's the other barrier to our potential, to our miracles. First, he was comparative. Secondly, excuses. Anybody got any teenagers in the room? Three of you. Excuses. Well, you know, you know, it's not, it's cold outside. You know, well, it's, it's hard. You know, I have to walk. You know, you know, and there's all the excuses. 
You know what excuses are? They're the lies we tell ourselves and others that minimize our culpability and justify our failures. I'll say that again because it's worth repeating. Excuses are the lies we tell ourselves and others. Why? Because we want to minimize our culpability and we want to justify our failures. Well, I couldn't do it because. Instead of taking responsibility. Listen, what makes a man a man is his acceptance of responsibility. What makes a woman a woman is her acceptance of responsibility. This is the prim, premier, primary way in which we are defined as mature individuals. It is the same in the kingdom of God, folks. It isn't that you get to keep bucking it off, sharing, well, I had the devil did this, and, and the enemy did that, and that person's rebellion caused this, and this situation did that. Uh-uh. I'm not living in that world. I'm not comparing myself to anybody, and I'm not going to live in excuses. I'm going to accept the responsibility for the thing that God has put in my life. I'm going to say I'm going to own the call to raise up a church in Olathe, Kansas. I'm going to own the call. Now listen, folks, when I got there, it was interesting. When I got to Olathe, Kansas, we were in a small, I knew one family. We knew one family, barely knew them. And we started ministering. We're going to celebrate our 20th year just like you guys. It's awesome. We've got a great congregation. It's amazing what God's done there. It's great. But I want to say this to you because I remember we were about two, three months in. Now, you've got to understand where I live. I live in suburban Kansas City, Johnson County, Kansas. Folks, it can't get more white than where I live. It just can't. There's no, uh, 93% of the population of Olathe is white. It's Caucasian. The next highest, uh, the next highest level is Hispanic, which is like uh, 5%. Then the rest of it is divvied up between, you know, Oriental and, and uh, African-American and so on and so forth. And so I remember I'm driving in to my church, and we're three months old. We got 30 people. And I'm, I'm praying, and the Lord speaks to me. And he says, your church is going to look just like heaven. Every race, kindred, tribe, and tongue. Now, here, I hadn't read the statistics. I'd only been in Kansas for three months. But we're in the burbs, folks. We're not downtown. We're not in the hood. We're in the burbs, nice houses all around us. And I remember I, I, I got up. I got in front of our congregation. We were in a gym at the time, 30 people sitting out, 30 white folk. I'm just telling you my reality. 30 white folks sitting out there. I said, guys, God spoke to me. He said, we're going to have a church that's going to look just like heaven, every race, kindred, type, and tongue. You know what they did? I got a golf clap. Nice three-foot putt, Pastor. That's what I got. And, I, and so it was interesting because right after this, I'm, I mean, I'm jazzed. I'm excited. The word of the Lord has come to me. Of course, they didn't know who I was. I was three months their pastor. Is this guy reliable? Is he consistent? Does he hear from God? We don't know. He seems to preach okay. And I remember I had two families, and they were our biggest givers at the time. Two families came up to me, and they said, you know, Pastor, we're interested in that little thing you said about the word of the Lord coming to you, about us being like heaven. And he said, do you mean that we're going to have like a, you know, like we're going to have African Americans in our church and stuff? I said, well, that's what the Lord said to me. They said, well, we're not sure we're really comfortable with this. Here's the key. Here's the key. I want you to be responsible for what God gives you. So I looked them dead in the eye and I said, then we're not your church. Yes, sir. 
before we had one family of color walk in the door, I looked at somebody who wanted to draw a line and challenge the word of the Lord to our house. And I said, we're not your church. They walked out with their money. Our very next Sunday, I get up there, instead of having 30 people, we have 20 people. My church was divided, my, my church lost a third of its population that day. I got up, and as soon I started preaching, and all of a sudden, my first family of color walked in the back door. Our church right now is over 50% black, 50% Hispanic. We have, a, we have the most culturally diverse church in Kansas City. That's the truth. And how do you do that with a guy like me? You don't. It's the word of the Lord. I just have to believe what God's telling me and not accept excuses. Somebody say no more excuses. No more excuses. I'm not going to justify my failures. I'm not going to minimize my culpability. I say, Lord, you are worthy. Listen to what the scriptures say in the message version, Ephesians chapter 4. Since then we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. Get the junk out of the trunk. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Oh, come on. I got to hurry. How much time do I have, Pastor? Pastor, how much time? I got 20 minutes. Okay. Here's Here's the next thing. I can do this in 20 minutes. In my, in my church, we got a countdown clock. It turns red when I go over. It's always red. <laughs> Just, here, here's another factor that will limit your potential and, and will destroy the miracle capacity of your life. Distorted, untrue perception of God. What did this man say when he looked at the master? He said, Master, I knew you were a hard man. You reaped where you hadn't sown. You gathered where you'd not scattered seed. In other words, he believed that his master was an unjust individual. He believed he was corrupted and corruptible in the way he related to his own business dealings. And he projected that upon his master. And because he believed that about his master... He limited his confidence and his faith. He, was, he operated in a context of fear. And I'm here to tell you, folks, the reason why we don't see the miracles that God's promises and we don't reach the potential that God has given to us is because we have this distorted perception of who God is. I'll tell you who God is. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the one that breathed in you the breath of life. He gave you a soul and a heart to worship him. He poured within you the capacities, the abilities, the understanding, and the heart to serve him. And in so doing... He wants 
to give you his own divine nature that he might bless the life of not only yourselves but also all those that will come in contact with you. But too many of us look at God and we think he's this way, this way or we think he's that way. We think that he celebrates uh, injustice. We think he rejoices over inequity. That's not the God of the scriptures, folks. Uh, he is just in all of his ways. Uh, he is righteous in everything he does. Uh, he doesn't have a corruptible standard, nor will he be corrupted. Uh, he won't speak and tell us an untruth. No, everything that issues forth from his mouth is truth. Uh, unadulterated and pure at every level. You can take it to the bank. Uh, I want you to know that by two immutable things, you can be confident that God will not lie to you. And that is he has sworn by himself because there's nobody else uh, he can swear by. He will say what he means and means what he says. He performs his word righteously and justly. Put your confidence in his ability. Take the limits off your perspective of who God is and watch him transform your life. <laughs> Romans chapter 2, look at this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God. Our Father, who created all the, all the lights in the heavens, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. This is the truth. When you start thinking he loves somebody more than he loves you, uh-uh, you're messed up. You're his prized possession. You're a royal priesthood. You're his own special people. He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous life so that you can proclaim, come on, you can proclaim the wonders and the glory of the God who rules in the heavens. Is anybody hearing this? He had a distorted perspective. You ready? Come on, I, I'm gonna get in the junk out of the trunk. Let's get the junk out of the trunk so we can see the miracles, so we can see the potential. What else, what else limited this guy? Fear. I was afraid. I knew you were a hard man. Because of his distorted perception of God, it induced, instead of confidence, it induced fear. And much of our fear is based on a distorted understanding of who God is. And that fear ruled his life. What was he afraid of? I believe he was afraid of two things. I believe I believed he was, a, because he, number one, he had the comparative issue. So he was afraid that he wouldn't measure up to everybody else's success. I believe that he was also afraid of success itself. Because with, how many know what God gives to successful people? More responsibility. You want to get something done, find the busiest person you know. And you'll get it done. Don't ever think, well, he's not doing anything. Let me get him. There's a reason he ain't doing anything. <laughs> he's lazy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it again because pastor told me to. <laughs> if, if there's a reason that person ain't doing anything. They're lazy. You want to get something done, find a business, business person that's always, you know, you're wondering how they're juggling it all. And how come their family's so good? They got the same 24 hours you got. Come on. God didn't give them any more time than he gave you. He was afraid of failing. 
Listen to what Des Whitney said. He said, failure should, not be our, should be our teacher, not our undertaker. Failure is delay, not defeat. It is a temporary detour, not a dead end. Failure is something we can avoid only by saying nothing, doing nothing, or being nothing. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline are a sound mind. You know what he was telling this to? He's telling this to a young pastor in Ephesus by the name of Timothy. And he was sitting there wondering if he could handle this huge job. It's estimated he had a church of 20,000 people. And he's a young man, a new disciple of Paul. And Paul's saying, I want to remind you, you've got a gift that was given to you by the laying on of my hands. Now stir it up. And don't walk in a spirit of fear, but walk in power, love, and soundness of mind. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know what you've gotten. I want to know what's been imparted to you. And I want you to cast off every fear and every doubt that will limit that reality in your life. Winston Churchill said this, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Now, I, I, I'm just giving you a couple, a couple thoughts, but here's, here's another thought we need to have. The reason this man is not going to succeed in his potential, the reason this man is not going to see the miracle of entering into greater responsibility, greater blessing, and greater resource is because he's wicked and lazy. Now, these aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. Now, here, I've defined these words because I looked it up in the Greek just because that's what you do when you're not sure what, what God means when he says wicked, so I'm going to help you. <laughs> Twisted thinking that promotes malicious behavior. That's wickedness according to the scriptures. Twisted thinking that promotes malicious behavior. In other words, his behavior of digging, now think about this, of digging that hole and burying that, disobeying the command of his master to grow his money. In the eyes of his master was wicked. He had a distorted thinking, a twisted thinking that promoted a destructive behavior. Who's this going to destroy? Well, it affected his master's resources, and it's going to affect his life. Not only is he wicked, and, and, and sometimes we give a lot of room to the wrong kind of thinking. But Romans 12 tells us that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And many of us never get to transformational realities in our life because we're still thinking the wrong things. We're thinking the wrong things about God. We're thinking the wrong things about ourselves. We're thinking the wrong things about our circumstances. The wrong, we live in suspicions. We live in fears. We live in doubts. We live in uncertainties. And folks, Jesus came, come on, to put our feet on a solid rock. Not only was he wicked, but he was lazy. Now, I want, you to, I want to define his laziness for just a moment. Is that okay? How many know lazy when you see it? Only two of you. Okay. Well, I'm going to help you here. I want, you to show, I want to show you how much effort it takes to be lazy. This man has a bag of 75 pounds of gold. He lives in a culture that would gladly hit him on the head and take it from him. So what does he do? Instead of taking it to bankers, instead of investing it, instead of hiding it under his bed, 
which is the easy thing he could have done. You know what he does? He has to drag, he drags this 75-pound bag of gold out into the middle of nowhere and make sure nobody follows him. He's got a shovel in his hand, and then he finds a nice secluded place where he can dig a hole, bury his money, tap it down, put some markers, create a map, and then he takes a bunch of leaves and a brush and walks backward. When he gets back home, he's dirty, he's filthy, and he's exhausted. This is his laziness. He could have took a shower every day and went to the market and made money. But instead, he'd rather, he'd rather put himself through a bunch of grunt manual work. And then when his master comes back, he's all oh, I better go get my money. So now he has to remember where he put it. He's got to walk back out there with that shovel. He's got to dig it up. He's got to put it back over his shoulder. So when he shows up in front of his master, he doesn't show up clean shaven, neat, and ready to receive his master. No, he's got the dirt of his laziness marking every part of his life. He drops a bag of gold down and the dust and the mud fly off of it and invades the atmosphere of this clean palace place. I want you to know that your laziness defines itself in everything you touch. And everywhere you go, you can't get away from the soil of your laziness. And too many of us are exhausted trying to be lazy. Not, 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 not spring of life, church. Not church of the harvest. So I'm talking about all the other churches. Here's, here's the final thing that, that limited him. He was motivated by self other than duty, responsibility, and character. That's what he was motivated by. He was motivated by what's the easiest thing for me? What's the best thing I can do? He didn't take his duty he didn't take his duty seriously. He didn't take his responsibility seriously. And he revealed the weakness and the fragility of his character. Now, I want to say something as I'm finishing this because it sounds like a negative message, but I want to bring this around to a positive thought. Here's, here's the truth about potential. And I, I heard Miles Monroe share this a while back, and I, it's so true that I want, to, I want to define that for you. But every one of you, have a seed principle that works in you. This is a principle of the kingdom of God. God said, let the whole earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on earth, and so it was. Now, what the Bible just told you and I, and we can, we can take you to many other verses, is that the seed of everything, the seed of everything is in itself. I'm gonna say it again. The seed of everything, even the seed of your human life, the ability to reproduce that life is in you. It's in you. The seed of the apple is in the apple. Come on. The seed of the orange is in the orange. The seed of the corn is in the corn. Come on, the seed of the oak is in the oak. Are you with me? The seed of the dog is in the dog. You don't have dogs having cats because he doesn't have the seed of a cat in him. Come on. Whatever something is created to become, God put it inside of that thing to become that. Here's the fact. The fact is, is that there is something at work. Now, can you do, imagine something with me. Hold out your hands like this. 
This is going to be an exercise for you. I want you to imagine that I've taken an apple seed and I've put it in your hand. You've got an app, one single apple seed in your hand. It's right there. It's right there. What's the fact? The fact is you have an apple seed. And a fact is the description of the present state of the thing, right? The fact is that's an apple seed. That's the fact. But that's not the truth. The truth is what God has invested in the thing itself. The truth is the potential of that seed. See, here's the truth. The truth is, is that seed has a tree that produces fruit, that has a seed that has a tree that has, produces fruit, that has a seed that has a tree that produces fruit, that has a seed that has a tree that produces fruit, that has a seed that has a tree that produces fruit with more seeds, that has a seed that has a tree that produces fruit, that has more seeds, to have a tree that produces more seed fruit, that has more seeds. You think you have an apple seed in your hand, but you have a forest. You have a forest in your hand. And the reality is, is too many of us looking at the facts. Well, I'm only this, I'm only 10, or I'm only 15, or I'm only 21, or I'm only 93. My best life has been, the facts might be that you are that. But that's not the truth of you. The truth of you is the seed of that great business, the seed of that great ministry. The seed is in you. And every seed in every seed, God has hidden a forest. Come on, in every seed, God has hidden a forest. Amen. That means in you, there's a forest. Amen. In you, there's billions of seeds. In you, there's hundreds of bushels, thousands of bushels of fruit. The issue is what are you going to do? Come on, with the seed. Here's the fact. He's a killer. But the truth is, that seed is the first five books of the Old Testament. It's Moses. Come on, the fact is, you've got a prostitute. But the truth is, she's going to begin the lineage of the Messiah. Somebody ain't hearing this. Come on, the fact is, you've got a little shepherd boy. Just watching some sheep, singing his songs. But the truth is, you've got the great shepherd, King David. A throne that will be established forever. Come on, somebody. I want you to start looking at your seed a little different. I want you to stop looking at your kids and instead of seeing the problem, I want you to see the potential. Instead of seeing the facts of just the circumstances that surround them, realize God's wanting to release and through them, start speaking to the seed of potential. Start believing in the seed of potential. Start releasing the seed of potential and watch God transform your world. Come on, somebody. Your future, your future is not ahead of you. Your future isn't ahead of you or at the beginning of 2018. Your future is in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. You didn't go into your future. You release your future with every decision and every action that you make every day. I wish somebody was hearing what I'm saying. Come on, the key to releasing your potential, though. Here, here's the key. If you're going to release your potential, 
You've got to understand the value of your environment. Now I'm going to talk to you for just a second. Because that potential can't be released unless that seed is placed in the right environment. You take that, so you took that little seed, let's set it on the shelf and honor that little seed. There it is, look at that seed, isn't that precious? It's awesome. Let's just sit it up there on the shelf and watch it. You'll never reach its potential if you don't put it in the environment that it needs. All right, let's take that seed and let's, let's open up a bag with all kinds of smoke in it. Let's close it up. Let's make it good smoke. Let's make it the new legalized smoke. Let's put it in a bag full of pot smoke. Let's do that. Yeah, that seed ain't going to ever, it'll be happy, but it'll never reach its potential. <laughs> let's put that seed in, a, in another bag of, of, of bacteria. Let's put it in a seed of poison. Put it in an environment of poison. That seed, it'll destroy the seed. It'll remove its potential. That's why you got to take care of yourself. That's why you got to put yourself in the right environment. That's why, young people, you don't go chasing what the world chases because it's living in a world where their potential will never be known. Their environment is constantly destroying the potential of their life. Uh, they think it's fun. They think it's frivolous. They think it's what it's all about. No, God's raising up a generation in this church as well as many other churches that are saying, no, 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 we're not going to be a part of what the world's about. We're not going to put ourselves in a system that will profane it and destroy what God has invested inside of our lives. Come on, put the seed in the right potential, in the right environment, in the right atmosphere. So you want to know what? I'm going to be in the house of worship. I'm going to be in the house of magnifying God. I'm going to sit under the word. I'm going to listen to faithful ministry. I'm going to activate myself in the service of the kingdom. I'm going to put myself in environment where my friends are going to matter. And if you can't go where I'm going, then I'm going without you. The reality is the atmosphere determines the potential of the seed. Apple seed on a shelf, in acid, in a bag of smoke. Come on, get the junk out of the trunk. Let's get rid of the stuff that wants to destroy our potential. I'm going into this year with no, I don't want to go into this year with no junk in my trunk. I want to put myself in the environment where the full potential that God has placed in my life will be realized. If you're a young, I don't care if you're young or old. It doesn't matter whether you're 12 or whether you're 100. It doesn't matter. If you're here, God's purpose is here to be fulfilled. So right now, would you just lift your hand? Can I pray with you? Just pray for you. Father, I, I believe there is, a, there is a prophetic grace that rests upon this house. That you have not defined it by masses You've not defined it by current culture. You've defined it by a kingdom that will never pass away. And that, Lord, while there has been challenges, you keep unfolding fresh vision and a faithfulness has been manifested. A faithfulness over the word of the Lord for this house to prioritize marriage and men and women. Lord, to invest in the things that matter and not be superfluous with other things. And I'm asking you right now by the power of the Spirit of God to unlock potential. Lord, I bind fear and excuses. I take authority over the comparative nature that wants to drive the way we relate to things. I want you to unlock, oh God, 
unlock a new way of seeing who you are. We're not going to define you by wrong paradigms. We're going to see you as good and great and mighty and powerful and holy and awesome, breaking down every barrier and destroying every stronghold. We give you the praise, oh God, for that release. So, Father, I ask you to set a hedge of protection around the seed that exists, the potential that exists in this house, in every person, every young man, every young woman that's in this place. And Lord, I thank you that your glory will be seen in a fresh way and miracles are going to flow like a river through the stream of this house in Jesus' name. Somebody give God a praise offering. Come on. Thank you for that deposit, Pastor Freck. It's always amazing to see that God sends provision, and, and that, that has been the mystery. Uh, great preachers have said the, the sun that melts hearts hardens clay. So the same word that would be issued for tonight, for some people would say, you know something, I want to break loose from excuses, from that lame existence of not being able to get my full potential. Other people will walk out saying, that's not for me. And so I just, I just know that God is faithful this morning, um, bringing this word in this season to this house. Um, last night, Nick's heart was burning, and, and he shared to the youth of the university crowd, Living Stones, he says, quit being lazy. So all last night was a strong rebuke to our young generation that if they're going to be able to rise up and be champions, they got to stop being lazy. So that's our DNA. In our vision of the church, Spring of Life, given to us 20 years ago, it says this will be a climate of no excuses. That's written into our vision. Nobody here has any reason not to give God its best. And we're, we're going to make sure that there's no no, no in, hindrance, nothing limiting you for a full expression of God's glory over your life and yours and your calling, your talents, and, and God is good in this house. So thank you, Pastor Freck and Tracy, for investing in this place. Uh, you'll have a harvest in this land of world changers. And uh, we don't let anybody come and share the word of God on this pulpit uh, because we're intentional and deliberate. Um, and so even this week, we'll, we'll be poured on to some more by Bishop Wellington. Uh, tomorrow night, let's just make it a general assembly gathering. Uh, not only the men, but the women and, and the youth come. We're going to have a special service with Pastor Wellington, uh, Bishop Wellington Boone tomorrow. We're not going to waste his time, and we're not going to waste ours either. There's nothing better to be doing on Monday night than being under the dew of heaven's provision. So we're going, to have, we're going to call special gatherings for Monday night and Wednesday night with Pastor Wellington Boone. Um, and he's, he's doing, he continues on with, with the assignment God has given him. Uh, but he, there's time for him to come by here and pour out on us at the beginning of the year. So let's not waste time. Today is a purposeful and intentional time. Uh, don't put off this decision for tomorrow or the next week 
next month, maybe sometime around June, I'll get serious with this word. Uh, you, you would have wasted too much time. Um, and, and time is of the essence. The devil knows it. The Bible says in Revelations 12 that he knows his time is brief, is short. He's, he's, he has a measurement of knowing his time is brief. So um, let's get busy with God's assignment and be entrusted. Get rid of the junk that's in the trunk and, and around the house too, all the junk that you have. Uh, yesterday, uh, one of the landscapers came out to my house. And he says, you got all this junk back there. What do you do? I said, throw it all away because it's been there now for six months. Uh, let's get rid of all the, just because we have room for it, you know, in our backyard. It's just piling up. So I said, just get rid of it all. And, and so let's let's do that in our spiritual lives and in the calling of God. Uh, the junk is, is what they call stinking thinking. It's thoughts in your head that hold you back to the greatness God has for you. Don't receive anything that's not the greatness of God over your life. Don't let anybody come and define you and, and place you. Uh, make sure that it's filtered through the word of God. Father, thank you for this morning. It's been a world-changing morning. You brought a man of God to the house of God to issue forth the truth of God's word. And we pray, Father God, that it not return void and that it would serve the purpose for which you have sown it into our spirits. And we declare it a healthy and good word planted in good ground that will give forth good fruit and a harvest that will glorify your name. And we agree with the word and we welcome it. We find place for in our lives that it would be fruitful, multiply, fill this place. And that this day, which would be January 7th, would be remembered as the before and after of our world-changing call in Christ. Transform the men, transform the women, transform the families, that they would be a blessing to all the families on the earth. And we pray for the Freck legacy, O oh God, that it would abound and be powerful and that the greater days would come of ministry and of prophetic voice to this land in this generation, O oh God. Bring in, Father God, a legacy of men and women that would follow the strong voice of your spirit. For the end times, you promised you would pour out your spirit on all flesh. And the young men and the women would prophesy and see visions and see dreams. And that you would establish your kingdom on the earth, Lord. And that you would build your church and no weapon formed against it but it would prevail against the gates of hell, Father God. We glorify you, we thank you, Lord, and we leave this place filled with your goodness and your abundance. Bless the hands of the givers, those that are faithful to tithe and to bring offerings to the house of God. Father, this year, multiply with increase their storehouse, Lord. Bless their uh, businesses, bless their houses, Bless their bank accounts. Restore what the enemy has eaten away and stolen. We declare this to be the year of the Lord, the year of the land of Beulah. No longer desolate or forsaken, but married and the expression of his delight over our life. In Jesus' name we pray. The house of God says amen, amen, and amen.